Good morning. It's Friday, June 7th, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz, a daily podcast catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined on the other line this and every weekday by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor, joining us on the road today from Greenville, South Carolina, Mr. Trey Scott. What's good down in my former neck of the woods? Good morning from the uh, Palmetto State, 78 days till college football season. I'm going to keep that up until we get to zero. Uh, Greenville's great. Had a, had a nice drive from Nashville uh, through Knoxville, uh, saw Tennessee's campus through Asheville, and then got to Greenville. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's been hard, though, Connor. I appreciate you kind of plugging me in on what's been going on to, to not be on your phone all day, especially with how busy this offseason has been for it being early June has, has been a little bit of a challenge, but I guess it's good to unplug too. Yeah, it can, it can be tough to keep up with that. And fortunately, you know, if you're not either you or me uh, and you are just a person who can just enjoy this podcast as an uninterested third party, then uh, we're, hey, we're happy to provide that service for you on days that you and your family are on a road trip. Um, so, Trey, last week on the Morning Blitz, we talked about the SEC head of officiating, Steve Shaw, indicating down at the spring meetings in Destin that he's kind of vaguely aware that the conference needs to be moving in a direction of having more transparency in their officiating. We didn't really get any specifics on what that might actually look like, apart from him ruling out at least in the short term, the possibility of a pool reporter being allowed to ask officials questions after the games. Uh, but today we did get uh, some new reporting from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated in an article that he wrote uh, on Wednesday. Uh, SEC grapples with officiating in the age of outrage was the headline. Uh, and, and Dellinger's story is kind of built around a Nick Saban quote that leads it off about how it would be a good idea for there to be a retired official a, a retired official on the television broadcast to explain calls being made on the field. So this is what Saban said. Uh, if we can find the right person to do that, an expert who nobody thought had bias, who could explain these things while they happen, I think it would go a long way in at least starting the chain of communication. Trey, what say you? It's when you read that and when you read the story, you're almost like, wait, they don't? Yeah. How do we not have that yet? Uh, I was looking it up. Mike Pereira at Fox, that's been lauded as one of the best TV hires in recent memory, right? He's there for NFL viewers and he's like, hey, this is bad. This is wrong. This is why this, ha- this was called that way. And it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit weird, I guess, than to think that we haven't had that yet in college football. I think that would be perfect, don't you? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not throwing our, you know, our overlord CBS under the bus, but yeah. I think, I think that would be a natural fit. I can't, I can't see a downside to that. Yeah. I mean, the fans want information. I'm sure the fans would be less mad at the people in charge if they were given information, even if it is, you know, we say unbiased, but, you know, this person I imagine at the end of the day is probably working for one of the conferences, maybe a network or combination of the two. I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point, Connor. It's like the, the NFL people work for the network. The, what Saban's suggesting would be, it almost sounds like working for the, maybe working for the conference, which isn't interesting because if it's the conference, then I think it's fair to question 
the message at least is the state yeah. propaganda. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, yeah, you, you worry about it drifting into propaganda. It's definitely hard to call it, would be hard to call it like big J journalism under those circumstances. But I think, I do think that even a pro official message is better than no message at all. Um, at least I think you can, you can, you know, maybe be, uh, a pawn of the SEC or the Big Ten or whoever, and still have the viewer benefit from getting what their best assessment of what the officials were thinking down on the field when they made that call. Because I think just like having that information about you know what the official is thinking here is it adds so much value to broadcast for me when it, whether I'm watching soccer, football, basketball, whatever. It's just uh, it's really helpful information to have. So I think. Like you said, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things. Like I think Fox does it on some of their college broadcasts, and it's kind of okay. wild that we that we don't that it's not a just like this is the boilerplate when you're setting up a new broadcast crew. Like the uh, rules expert is a part of it. Uh, like it just seems like such an obvious win. Um, I think like the next thing to look out for is. We've heard a lot about SEC officiating last week because they just got done in Destin, and then we have this. This quote from Saban, can any of this happen by this upcoming season? Mm. That would be, I think, my, my thing to watch. You know, Saban is, Saban is the godfather, right? So can they move heaven and earth to get, to get a former ref or a conference affiliate or somebody on these networks? And I think if you do see that, then it, it's almost a testament to how much sway Nick Saban does have. Yeah, and Saban did say that he that was something that he passed on as a recommendation. So I guess maybe the next time we might get an update as to whether that is something that could realistically happen as early as this season would probably be late Ju- July at uh, SEC Media Days. Steve Shaw usually gives kind of a keynote speech there about officiating and an update on some things. So uh, it will be interesting to see. That it would, uh, you know, I know sometimes it can take a little while to get these wheels in motion maybe getting it done for this season would be early but it would be it would be very cool we are definitely for it um another interesting tidbit from dellinger's story was uh the sec lost eight of its 74 officials last season one to the nfl and seven to either retirement or performance-based dismissal uh Seven is kind of a lot if it's all they got fired for performance, but we don't know whether it's six retired and one got fired or, uh, or what. But um, that I, I found that interesting. Yeah, it, I I would like to see that compared to other conferences uh, sure. before making a huge assessment. I would also like. I feel you know if, if we're going to go in this, this route of transparency, with and and it seems like the SEC wants to. That has to be public info. Those yeah. names have to be names that we know. Like the, we we need to know that stuff. We know that in the NFL and the NBA, those are sports and leagues where unfortunately sometimes the refs and the officials become part of the story. Like you know the names of those guys, and we'll see if college football can go that route. I'm not saying I want, like I, I don't really want an LSU fan, for instance, to look up and say, oh, Joe Schmo's refing my game on Saturday that means bad things for me. Like, I don't want that low level of notoriety for these officials, but I do think if we're going to go in the direction of, you know, commenting on was this call good or bad on releasing final, like maybe like last two minute reports on why this call was made and then having the, the transparency in the booth, 
I feel like we need to get to a point where you're not just saying six guys were fired. It's here's the guys who are no longer calling these conference games. Yeah. And by the way, if I'm one of the guys that retired, I would like probably have a little bit of your leadership with, yeah. Like, by the way, I wasn't one of the ones that got fired. <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, the great transfer portal news for Southern Cal continued on Thursday. USC quarterback, Matt Fink announced that he is withdrawing his name for the transfer portal and returning to the Trojan Trojans, uh, let me do that one more time. USC quarterback Matt Fink announced that he is withdrawing from the transfer portal and returning to the Trojans. Trey, I didn't realize this t- until today, but apparently Fink is seen as a serious contender to unseat JT Daniels for the starting QB job, and they do not have a clear QB hierarchy coming out of spring practice. So this is pretty big news. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know if – I mean, this is JT Daniels' job, Connor. Uh, Matt Fink was at one point in the, in the off season reportedly gone to Illinois. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they said, Hey, come back. You can still win this job. I wouldn't take any spin coming out in the last 24 hours about, you know, Fink's return to Troy being because he could win the shot. And that, that's just, I, I don't see that happening. The guy was in the transfer portal for a reason. This is still great news for you to see though. You have your backup quarterback. He's got some experience being a backup. I think he's going to push JT Daniels in fall camp. It's not like JT Daniels is like above reproach. Like he, he needs to be pushed, but JT Daniels will be USC's quarterback this fall. And that I think will be the backup. And this is a win for another transfer portal win for USC. We haven't talked about it on, on the, uh, on the podcast yet, but receiver Valus Jones jr. He's returning as well. So that's two guys. Now I can count who have entered the USC or entered USC's transfer transfer portal and then returned. Yeah, so that puts the Trojans at plus four on the week for transfer portal business with, uh, obviously, Chris Steele and Brew McCoy near certainties to wind up in L.A. So, very good week in the portal uh, for Clay Helton and company. Uh, Thursday was an up-and-down day for LSU as they landed a top 247 safety commit but had a former 1,000-yard receiver enter the transfer portal. Jonathan Giles had a big 2016 season catching balls from Patrick Mahomes reeling in 69 passes for 1,158 yards and 13 touchdowns. Decided to cash in on that success and transfer to a higher-profile program. But after sitting out in 2017, Giles was mostly a special teams guy last year for LSU, catching just 10 passes and 13 appearances. And, you know, a lot of underclassmen with double-digit catches for LSU last season, Trey. So would seem to make sense that Giles is moving on here. Yeah, we thought he was going to be a big-time impact for the Tigers this past fall. But they have a loaded receiving uh, receiving core. I'm excited to watch Terrace Marshall, former five star, take the next step. He had kind of a quiet freshman year, but he, he's as good as he's as good as the other guys in the room, including Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. The good news for LSU on Thursday was that Baton Rouge product and top two four seven safety Major Burns decided to stay home and commit to the Tigers. Okay, get this. This is how good LSU's class is. I'm looking right now. Major Burns is the number six safety in the country, number 126 overall in the 24-7 sports composite. And he is one, two, three, four, five, six. LSU's sixth best commit in the class of 2020. They have the number three class in the nation. They're inching toward number two. Ed Orgeron has things rolling in Baton Rouge. They have a ton of momentum. They are set up to get a lot of big-time targets this offseason. Yeah, LSU doesn't go 
any higher in the 24-7 sports composite with this commit because they were already so high. But now just under two points off of Alabama for that number two spot. Uh, Trey, Oklahoma also got two commitments today, did they not? Yeah, so Brian Darby, a receiver out of Texas. And then the big one, though, Connor, Seth McGowan, a uh, top 247 running back out of Mesquite, Texas as well. This, interestingly enough, this gives Oklahoma two running back commits in this class. Two kids from Texas, two kids from the Dallas area. The jewel of this class right now is Jace McClellan from Alito. He's number 23 in the country overall. You've got McGowan, number 148. McClellan, McGowan, McClellan. I mean, that's going to be confusing, but it's also going to be a lethal component of a ground attack. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. If you enjoy what you heard, make sure to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to check us out. For Trey Scott, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early on Monday morning for the next edition of the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz.